On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are taking to the skies for Hulu's star-studded adaptation of Catch-22, catching up with Germanic supernatural occurrences in season two of Netflix's Dark, and, speaking purely for myself, failing to have the first clue what in the five families is going on in the latest series of Italian-language crime drama, Gomorrah. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast where we have once again sifted through almost endless hours of television so that you don't have to. Joining me on this, our 40th instalment, the big 4-0, are my two square-eyed colleagues, the penfolds to my danger mouse, if you will. First up, a man who really needs no introduction. His credentials as a notorious season 8 Daenerys apologist are matched only by the fact that he can now count all three of the Game of Thrones dragons among his celebrity friends. It's Boyd Hilton. Hello, Boyd. Hello. How are Drogon... Regal and Viserion. <laughs> They're all getting on very well. Good, good. I'm pleased. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I think you like the fact you've reduced me to a, a, a defender of Game of Thrones. Yeah, and a dragon handler. And a dragon handler. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's a promotion. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, joining Boyd is a woman who also needs no introduction, though mainly because you can hear her yelling at me several streets away. It's Terry White. Hello, James. <laughs> Hello, Terry. Is this how we're going to do the podcast this week? I'm trying to be quiet and civilised. You're going full handmade on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> under his eye. I'm under your eye. Yeah. <laughs> after, um, after the torrent of um, Twitter uh, quests, requests and questions going, does Terry really hate James? She does. Does, she, like, does she find him unbearable in real life? runs deep. I mean, I suppose there are a couple of things, one of which is none of this is manufactured. If anybody thinks this <laughs> no. is manufactured, they are welcome to come and hang out in our office where it's basically this for 10 hours a day, yeah. five days a week. Um, uh, but, you know, maybe maybe this podcast isn't showing the full spectrum of our relationship, James, yeah. because all it's really getting is insults and shouting uh-huh. and name-calling. And there is so much more to you and I, like... Mm. Um, yeah. Wait, wait, um, I've got, I'm just going to come to me. Hang on. Mm. Uh, uh, I'm going to work on it. I'm mm. going to work on we it. We both enjoyed Endgame. We did? We did. We both enjoyed Endgame. So that was that was nice. That was good. Yeah. good. We We've both, got a lot, huge amount we both, in common. We both, yeah. we both, we both yeah. did that. Someone I went, uh, I had lunch with some, uh, I will not name them, but I had lunch with some publicists in the TV world today and they asked me <laughs> how much of the podcast, specifically the you and I abuse, was scripted. And I was scripted. just like, yeah. and I was just like, first of all, I if I were a screenwriter, I would be a better screenwriter than that, I like to think. But second of all, no, none of it. The abuse is all organic. I love the thought that this is scripted. Yeah. I mean, isn't it a bit too on the nose to be scripted. If you, if this was a script, you'd send it back with elaborate notes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too obvious. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think it's in this world of fake news, like when people manufacture, you know, these kind of feuds between. But you remember when Vin Diesel and The Rock fell out on Fast and Furious and everyone thought it was a PR stunt, like they manufactured it. Who's who's um, who's who in this scenario? Uh, well, I mean, you're definitely Vin Diesel. I knew you were say that. <laughs> I mean, because well, he's, not the rock, he's I mean, you can get, like, if those two, if those two fell out, rock. Vin Diesel is Dyer. in the wrong. James Dyer is the rock yeah. if something went really badly really wrong. Really badly wrong. Like, you got, like, it's like the rock got rolled out like pastry and pulled and stretched to be long and thin. See? Yeah. Just like Vin Diesel. That's yeah. what he'd say. Yeah. Mm. I'm more intrigued that you had had lunch with some um, TV publicists. Oh, and you weren't invited. And Terry and I weren't invited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't want to see just, you. Just, I mean, 
Just Boy, let that see, go. It's, it's, you know, they wanted to speak to the mover, the shaker, the power behind the podcast. And, you know, I think we can all agree, that's me. How did it go? <laughs> I mean, I think I offended both of them. Uh, they definitely won't deal with this anymore. Were they convinced that you were the mover and shaker? No, absolutely not. Uh, which, which was, you know, we talked about I, it. I, like, this is I not, really you know, want to be a fly on the wall at this yeah. time. And then I realised I should have just been there. No. Well, here's <laughs> the thing. So on the other magazine we work on, Empire, James isn't allowed to really talk to PRs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and there's a reason for it's that. True. Anyway, what have you been watching this week, Boyd? Well, I have been watching the years and years finale. <laughs> finale. No spoilers, haven't seen it. No, it goes out. Um, so recording this on Friday, then the podcast goes out on Monday, and it's the finale is on Tuesday. Yep. So I'm not. I, I'm not going to spoil it. Suffice to say, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and and ama- and just not what I was expecting. Oh. Yes. Not what I was expecting at all. I'm saving mine for live yeah, TV yeah, yeah, viewing. I've resisted. Yeah. But me, me and somebody in the Empire office were talking about this yesterday and saying so much happens in each episode and even the end of episode five ended up so far away from where the end of episode four ended mm. that I don't even know where they're going to go in the finale. And I can't remember the last time I truly felt that, yeah, like it was a complete yeah. blank page. Yeah. What is, I think, and what, what I felt was, so without spoiling anything, that we all know Russell T. Davis is brilliant at all kinds of things on, on in TV writing, but the thing that I was suddenly kind of reminded about when you watch it is he plants things really early on in the storytelling that then come to fruition. Oh God, don't say that, because now I'm going to be frantically re-watching them all before Tuesday, <laughs> well, looking for a clue. Anyway, anyway, and there might even be in terms of relationships. So what I would say is, like, I think this was this was this was to the fore already. This has been going on for a lot of years. But just one thing that, that really knocked me out is how the relationship between Muriel and Reed's character and Tania Miller's character just so beautiful and moving because they started out as arch enemies it's like they hated each other um, and now they're like just best mates and it's so brilliantly done it's just very very mm-hmm. just subtle little moments between them and it's it that so there's there's glorious elements of that there's w- there's one moment of touch yes. in episode five right. which yeah. really like yeah. I think that's been handled brilliantly and, yeah. and it's never been rushed at any point no. their relationship is, has come along really kind of slowly and there's still barbs and yes, all of this exactly. but to see yeah. That warmth seeping in has yeah, been like. Yeah. So by stealth, he does these things. Isn't you know that I'm really Jessica. Jessica um, Hines. Hines's relationship was kind of like almost like crept up on you before yeah. you really knew it. I don't even know how he does it, but so there's there's relationship stuff like that that gets developed, and and the whole big kind of thing that happens addressing the state of the world is is incredible as well. So yeah, I love that, and I want to quickly mention the you're gonna love this the Bob Dylan Rolling Thunder review. Martin Scorsese thing that is on arrived on Netflix Phil. this week. Well, all right, but it's definitely made it's for Netflix. It is, is it a one-off TV event? It's a no, one-off TV it's event. Not. It's a documentary <laughs> film. Scorsese himself said that for Netflix. Boyd, how dare you discuss a film on the Pilot TV podcast? Not on TV. Oh, okay. All I'm saying is it's it's incredible. Boy, but I, I'm going to quickly say I, yeah. I watched the whole two hour, two and a half hours of it without realizing that a central character in it is fictional, played by an actor who's Midler's husband, and I thought it was the real character that did the real things that he said on the thing. Okay, now, boy, I, I do have to be very clear here. Remember, a film is only a TV series when Terry says it is. Other than that, a film is a film and a TV show is a TV show, but that's on, on only under those circumstances. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Don't, it's not about me, it's about Martin Scorsese. Oh, uh, yeah. Scorsese. Should, should we talk about... I don't know where you went. 
very authentically Italian American Scorsese. Should we talk about Knock Down the House, the uh, <laughs> the film that uh, we reviewed not so long ago? Should we? Uh, should we talk nope. about that? No, okay, good, good, good. Let's move on. Uh, Terry, what, have, what what films or you know whatever have you been watching? I have been watching. Well, I binged. Watched, binge watched. Terry seems I, to have wound down. <laughs> Sorry, I, I lost. Suddenly drifted off. <laughs> Weird. Someone replaced their batteries quickly. We should not do this on a Friday afternoon. Remember when we did it on a Monday morning? We were like, mm. boom, boom, boom. That's why the Game of Thrones ones were so good. Yeah. Okay. So I watched all of Killing Eve season two in the space of a day and a half, um, and. My mum says it's not as good as season one. Your mum? Hello, James's mum. I'm sorry for all the bad language and the, um, calling your son a bellend. Um, <laughs> season two is... She doesn't disagree. ...is officially... <laughs> bet she doesn't. Um, ...is officially not as good as season one. What I will say is it has two episodes, episode five and the final episode, which for me are so brilliant and extraordinary and arguably better than any single episode in season one. What it lacks is the consistency. I've mentioned it before. that It, it, it still, for me, lacked a little bit of the texture and detail and colour of the slight absurdity. It's, it's very good at bigger picture stuff, hugely... Um, compelling in terms of big set pieces and what have you but those weird little glimpses of normality and mundanity were really missing for me but episode five in Amsterdam is extraordinary the finale is bold and um, brave and pretty bonkers Um, so yeah that's kind of how I felt, but I did do it all very, very, very quickly. Uh, it's on my list. It's uh, as with so many things. Yeah, off, have you got off the Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, you got the Sons of Anarchy Look, rewatch, guys. I am now on the last guys. episode guys. of season six, so there's just one season left to go. So I would say, by maybe not my next week's podcast, definitely by the one after that, I will be done with Sons of Anarchy. My rewatch will be complete. You won't have to hear the about world it anymore. Will be. Recovered, but that's not the only thing I watched this week. Captain, late to the party here. Finally finished Chernobyl. Uh, Chernobyl. Yeah, yes. Uh, well, I mean, it's really fucking good, isn't it? Yeah. Like um, this is, shouldn't be a huge surprise at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised this has been as popular as it is. Not because it's not brilliant, but because it is so bleak and because of the subject matter. And yet, so many people love it, and I, mm. I, I find that very encouraging. And I think it's perhaps indicative of the fact that people's people are now looking to TV for different things than they have in the past. Like like this is the kind of thing where people would go and sit in the cinema, Mm. but people are sitting in their living room and you think, oh yeah, do you want to watch a gruelling sort of like multi-part talk of radiation poisoning, death and the Soviet Union, they'd have gone, no thanks. So, have you read all the stuff about the radiation inaccuracy? Yes, I have. I read the whole article on Forbes, which was very interesting, and they talked about how uh, there were a lot of fact inaccuracies Mm. about the the death count, who died, who didn't die, uh, the fact that the the miners who came in and did that, everything they did was essentially pointless and didn't really do anything. They talked about how people weren't summarily shot in the Soviet Union around that point, so all the threats of bullets in the heads was nonsense. But yes, the main thing is, which is something I'd heard before, radiation isn't contagious yeah now so I was going to re- so I watched it before I read that thing yeah. about particularly I mean dramatic inaccuracies in um, in shows based on factual things like this don't mm. bother me generally no nor me and there was a New Yorker article about that whole the, the inaccuracy of it and that I thought was really misguided articles I thought it just didn't it was a bit nitpicky it was very it? nitpicky mm. Where, but then I read the Forbes thing as you yeah. say about the radiation that did disturb me yeah. but then but then I felt it's, it, maybe it's just the characters at that time thought yes. the radiation was which is what I thought right. but then a lot of them are nuclear physicists so yeah, but still this was like, like you, I know, but again ago. a nuclear physicist you think would understand how but, nuclear but radiation 
sometimes it's but do the but the okay. So there's the big explanation of bullets, radiation like bullets. Yeah, that apparently they, that's not a great. That's not a great explanation. And but the the medical staff think take the precautions. Yeah. not and, and that's they might understandable. Not know. They but might I think not know. I thought that fool's article didn't even acknowledge that that, no. that, that a lot of it is just. What they just assume, you'd assume, wouldn't yeah. you, that radiation yeah. was, but was like it was touching. Emily Watson's character who drags the woman out of the room, and you're like, she's yeah. not near anything radioactive. Because my okay. understanding is that like the the like the clothing they wore and the stuff on their skin would have been radioactive, but they would yeah. have been hosed down yes. and stripped. Yes. Yes. And after they were hosed down and stripped, they're still suffering from radiation sickness, but they don't have anything on them that's then yeah. radioactive. And then he made a big point. Sorry, this could go on for hours. Sorry, because <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> yeah. you haven't watched the end. Of yeah, the this is the nuclear physics phase. You of haven't the podcast. watched. The, I'm just checking. You haven't watched the end. Of. I couldn't give. <laughs> of course you couldn't. Anyway, quickly, he also goes on in an article about how they're all being red, red, glowing yeah, red. Yeah. But then some I read someone who was a eyewitness there said they were glowing red and they were so, you know. But also knows? that I, I could like uh, making them look a bit more gory. That's drama. I'm I'm fine oh, yeah, with that. Of course. But like making out like, you know, because I remember weirdly. So when I first started Empire, I, I did an interview with uh, with Adrian Lester. And he was telling me that he he, he was in this is really random. He'd done a film and it was about like radioactive money that was making everyone sick. And he goes only halfway through production he said to me he's like someone pointed out that's not how radiation works like the money would not be radioactive what are you that's doing amazing, isn't it? Uh, and so that stuck with me so Adrian thanks very much you uh, ruined Chernobyl for me yeah uh, but no but have you seen two things that are happening first of all the Russians are putting out a counter Chernobyl yes. Yes, they're making hilarious. their own version of Chernobyl yes. because they're saying that uh, it's wildly inaccurate and it's all American propaganda and actually the Americans were behind the uh, Chernobyl meltdown yeah, so, that is so that's useful yeah. and in no way fake yeah. news um and also, there was a bit of controversy about whether or not the Brit Chernobyl was ripped off for this. Did you hear this? Like about no. whether or not that this because this has been this has been you know the the the, the was it BBC was it a BBC one? Oh, there was a pre, pre. I think it was BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so the the BBC Chernobyl, right? Like there was thought that it had quote unquote heavily influenced this one. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think the people involved in that were a little bit put out that maybe they weren't credited enough with how influential. Well, I have it was. seen. I think the director Nick Murphy on Twitter has talked quite a lot about how I think I don't want to misquote him or anything, but he. Well, yeah, that's alluded, what I, was, I was trying to talk around it. Right, yeah, right, go, okay. no, go no, for it. He's go alluded let's get to in there. what he thinks yes. inaccuracies as yes. well in the, yes. their version. I really want to go back and see yeah. this version. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but bottom line, accurate or inaccurate, it is like the world, the greatest ever disaster movie. Yeah, if, across five hours, if you've ever seen. That's how I see it. Because I love disaster movies anyway. By the way, yeah. And if you look at, um, you, you know, it, that's what it is. It's like you know. The, the towering inferno, yeah. but like really, really watch it. It's really great. Done. Please do not do what seems to be happening at the moment, where Chernobyl sort of Pripyat tourism has seen a massive increase, which I think is demented. But yeah. there you go. Uh, and uh, contrary to what you've been told, watching Chernobyl cannot give you radiation poisoning. No. Right. It is now time for funny or dire where we, and more specifically I, attempt to squeeze droplets of amusement from the desiccated corpse of modern comedy. Uh, <laughs> You like that? Oh, wow. Christ. That was just for you, Terry. Holy shit. Thought you like that. As advertised last week, this week's victim is Modern Family, as chosen by Hell's Bells on Twitter. Uh, specifically, season six, episode, I'm going to say 12, The Big Guns. Now, this caused some controversy on Twitter over the last week, as some Modern Family fans have said this was a bit of a left field choice, and an earlier season would have been more representative of Modern Family at its best. 
I can't say either way whether that's true. So we pressed on regardless. Uh, this particular instalment of the sitcom about dysfunctional families features uh, an unsightly boat bo- blocking a driveway. Uh, there's a small child being forced into clown school, uh, a slightly pervy boy ogling his next door neighbour's sunbathing routine, and a small child being potty trained. Terry, you must have loved every minute of this. What did you think? It wasn't funny. (laughs) So I'd never seen Modern Family before. I think it was once on in the background while I did something else uh, years ago. That's a a hell of an anecdote you've got there. (laughs) I remember thinking, oh, Sophia Vergara looks nice. Um, And it's just not funny. Is it meant to be fun? Is it meant to be genuinely funny? Yeah, uh, let me. I, I like Modern Family generally, but it is very much one. It's it's an incredibly. It's kind of like Friends in a way. I mean, not, it's not as good as Friends. Don't get me wrong, but it's the closest you'll get in a way to what Friends did at its best, which was um, relentless jokes yeah. and characters you go to grow to know and love because. Because if you keep watching them, they're the, you know their kind of characteristics seep in, and you kind of know them so well that you kind of it kind of takes off, and you love it for that reason. But this episode, I have to say, so I like it generally. I don't love Modern Family. I like it. I enjoy mm. it. It rarely makes me laugh either. But as I've said before, a bit like you, like I love love comedy, unlike you. But it doesn't actually often make me laugh out loud. Yeah, that Modern Family never does. But I do enjoy it nonetheless. But this episode is such a random, mediocre. I don't want to have a go at poor Hell's Bells. I mean, but there, but there are episodes which are really clever and unique. Like there's one, one episode that's filmed entirely by like a thing on a, an iPad on a stick. Yeah. I'm not explaining it well. You know, right. That's immediately funny. Right? Terry's laughing because yeah. he's seen it. I'm but... laughing at you, Nana, saying an iPad on a stick. It is. It is. You have to see it. There's episodes where they go away together and they're kind of the, some of the best episodes. There's the gay wedding episode. Uh, I, I don't know what was special about this episode. It felt very routine to me. Maybe she was picking like the most modern family, modern family episode where nothing extraordinary happens, but it's just very modern family, in which case, fine. I think I think what she enjoyed about this episode yeah. was the clown school oh, okay. plotline. I think right. that was it. So uh, one of the characters whose name I neither know nor care about is uh, a clown. You know you can take notes. James. Yeah, I could do, but I wasn't interested enough to do that. Okay. Uh, Fizbo the clown. is He's Fizbo the clown. Yeah. Uh, and his adopted daughter, Lily, who I only remember because I saw part of the very first episode of Modern Family. And I remember him, that character in particular, holding up a child, which I assume is her, to the music from The Lion King. <laughs> Yeah, that one's... Yeah, okay. So anyway, she is learning to be a clown and decides to become an evil clown. And I've got to be honest, guys, I laughed. (gasps) Oh, my God. Now, this is interesting. Once. So we've reached one laugh. It was a small laugh. It was was like, you're not paying attention, you'd have missed it. It was like, nah! It was like a little... And it was when Evil Clown is hiding in the bath and he goes to the bathroom mirror and she gets him in the face with a boxing glove. Oh, yeah. And oh. that surprised me. I, I think I was enjoying... So basic slapstick. I was going to say, yeah. basic physical <laughs> no, comedy. I enjoyed him kind of cautiously tiptoeing around the apartment unaware when he was going to get ambushed by like, the ninja clown. And then I think I didn't expect that. But, like, that caught me by surprise. And I think it made me laugh because it just came out of nowhere. And that, that I laughed at that bit. Okay. But I don't... I, but I, I, should point out, I don't think it's funny. I don't think I could objectively say it's funny, but weirdly, I laughed. Can we just say this week that James Dyer has reviewed Men in Black International and given it three stars when the rest of the world (laughs) declared it the unfunniest, (laughs) worst thing ever. And now he's decided that Modern Family, a mediocre episode of Modern Family, is going to 
be the thing you laugh at after weeks of nothing. Yeah. You realise you've buried the lead there. What you're actually trying to say is the editor of the world's biggest movie magazine asked James Dyer to review a comedy, <laughs> which one might say is a massive dereliction of duty, but I don't know. <laughs> Well, I did not see any of this coming this week. <laughs> yes, so uh, Men in Black International, three stars, Empire. <laughs> but uh, more specifically, so this, so this, this so we had the clown school thing, which you can't take or leave. The, the boats thing, Steve Zahn's boat, did that? No one found that funny? No? no. Which bit? That was, trying to be, that was trying to be, often they do kind of class conflict stuff, which is, they've done better than they did it in yeah. this. That wasn't great. I didn't enjoy that much. Yeah, yeah I get all the, like, uh, you know, the neighbour tension yeah. and the class tension and all those things, and they're all, you know, the, norm, the normal things we can all relate to, yeah. but, you know, Made funny, mm. not funny though. The pervy, the pervy yeah. boy line I didn't like. Basic. That was well, really basic see. and a bit like you. Yeah. And uh, dude, was it Ed from Married with Children trying to potty train a toddler? That was the worst of all of the scenes. Yeah. Ed from Married with Children is often the best thing about modern family. Yeah, but not this week. Okay, <laughs> not this week. Absolutely not. So we're week. left then with Fizbo the clown, and what was it, Lisbo? Fisbo and Lisbo. I don't, I don't know. The two clowns. Yeah. So that's Modern Family. Apparently it's good. I, I felt, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like with people on the internet, like they've sometimes they take the laugh track out of comedies like Friends and stuff. And they like, they play you like Friends without the laugh track. And it becomes anti-humour because you just get these really awkward silences after every joke. Yeah. Like at times. Modern Family doesn't have a laugh track. Does no, it doesn't. No, no, but no, there were times it's, it's where. It's supposed to be faux documentary. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's incredibly unbelievably unrealistic photo yes, documentary yes. but it, nevertheless that is the genre but there were periods in this where there are silences after the gags and it, it, yeah. it felt I felt awkward in the same way I did when oh, I saw I... the de-laughed friends on the internet no I think that awkwardness is deliberate yes, it's that's... supposed to be like a comedic, comedic pause but yeah so that's uh, Modern Family, which weirdly is dubbed funny rather than dire, and yet I still don't think it's funny. So make of that what you will. Men in Black International, three stars. Uh, <laughs> next week's Funny or Dire, actually I've already chosen for us. It, this funnily, comes enough. Via, funnily enough, comes via Keith Leon on Twitter, and it Keith is... Lemon. Not Keith Lemon. Okay. It's definitely not Keith that Lemon. Could be the week I mean, after's could, Funny or Dire. It could be Keith Lemon, but on the internet he's called Keith Leon. Uh, and he has suggested the IT crowd. Oh, Series 2, oh, episode 1, wow. The Work Outing. I mean, there's so many interesting things about that. I can't even begin. See, I'm not sure if I'm going to like it. If you've not seen the idea. Never part. seen it. Never seen it. But I, I feel like having worked in the computer building industry in the past. Computer I might, building industry? Yeah, I used to work in a computer game shop. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, um, interesting. Yeah, I do love the IT crowd, um, and it's written by Graham Lenehan. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm not, oh, not a controversial oh, figure in I, any way. I didn't realise that. Well, that was a but whole new dimension really to this. you really not realise that? <laughs> no, I had oh, no I'm really idea. I'm glad I've told you. Well, yeah. I had no idea who wrote there it. Okay, go. wow. How interesting is that? Would you this still is... like to stick to that choice? <laughs> well, I've done it now, so I think we should press yeah. on with it, and we can, you know... We can have a heated We can deal about. with the... Problematic aspects <laughs> next week. Um, if you'd like to watch that one along with us, then do track it down and uh, enjoy the autopsy, which will commence next week. News. It's time for <laughs> oh, news. Oh, my God, I forgot we do news. I, I'm going to need to do this live since I haven't actually prepared any news. I will, however, start by saying this. There is a June TV series oh, coming. <laughs> and I talked about this on the Empire podcast, but I feel entirely justified in talking about it here as well. June, The Sisterhood uh, is going to be a streaming TV series. The first one is going to be directed by Denis Villeneuve, who is uh, obviously doing June, the movie. And it's very exciting, but it's about the Bene Gesserit witches. <laughs> 
uh, and their search for the Kwisatz Haderach. They, of course, the being the, the Kwisatz the Haderach, the Bene Gesserit Messiah, they, of course, take the water of life, which comes from the drowning of Shai Hulud, the old man of the desert. You know things are going horribly wrong when Terry starts filming the... Yeah. Because uh, you're, you're whinging yeah. on. That's you're right. banging on about The you. makers of the People, spice melange. What is interesting is, is seeing this podcast has become so, I don't know, immersed in people's minds <laughs> and your connection to Dune has become so redolent of everything you are that as soon as this was announced, like people were like getting really excited about the idea of you banging on about Dune for hours yeah. on end. yeah. While Terry and I sit here bewildered yeah. by what the fuck you're going on, it's about. like the great circle of life. Like my Dune, my Dune spanning now transcends both yeah. podcasts. Circle it's of not life limited just to the, the Empire King, one. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is. I'm interested in the fact that they've already snapped up this thing to turn into a TV series with Denis Villeneuve, Villeneuve involved. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think we'll be seeing Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohayam in this? Played, of course, by Charlotte Rampling. Oh, in the in the terrible film, in the in no, the, oh, in the new one, she's in series. No, no, no. So she's right. in in Denis Villeneuve's Reverend Mother. Okay, yeah. Will she appear in this? One Obviously, would. it's a rhetorical question because you don't know. No, uh, nor do you. Though. But it gave me the opportunity to say Reverend Mother Gaius Helen. You Mohaya. really like saying these I character really do. names, don't you? I really it's do. your favourite thing. Yeah. 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 Timothy Chalamet, of course, What's playing the name of the playing character? Paul Atreides, aka Mwadib, aka Usul, meaning the strength that is the base of the pillar. What's the name of the character Sting played in the weird like jock Fade Ralpha. The Baron go. Harkonnen's nephew is the is whoever's playing him in this version going to be wearing a weird. They haven't announced thing. who's playing Fade Ralph, which is the only major role that oh, has yet to be announced. There you go. I've asked it's the quite controversial. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just assuming they haven't done it because it's Sting again, uh, and that they don't want to reveal it. If it was Sting again, yeah, and they'll youth him like they do in Marvel movies. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for that news. You're welcome. You're welcome. I shall update people weekly with Picard <laughs> and Dune news as it breaks. More importantly. The BBC have announced the new Sarah Phelps Agatha Christie series because, as we know, she's already done And Then There Were None, Ordeal by Innocence and the ABC Murders. They're all absolutely brilliant in their own way. She is an absolute phenomenon. She's a brilliantly subversive dramatist, particularly of Agatha Christie stories. And they're now doing The Pale Horse, which came out in 1961, Terry. And she describes it as, I quote, shivery, paranoid story about superstition, love gone wrong, guilt and grief. Can't wait. Classic. Is it going to bring all of the uh, all of the alt right out of the woodwork like all of yeah. the other ones seem to? Daily Mail calling us like perverse. Of course they are. Perverse. Of course they are. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Spielberg. Um, oh, Quibble. Quibble. What is Quibble. it? So, Quibble. Boy, tell us. Do you know what do you know about Quibby? Quibby. Quibby. How do you pronounce Quibby. it? Quibby. I don't know how to pronounce it. Do you think this is an elaborate troll of the streaming networks I mean, and it's not real? All right. So let's just let's just break this apart. So for those who haven't read this story, this is Spielberg After Dark. It is a horror TV show that you can only watch once the sun has set, and it is exclusively for this mobile-only streaming platform. So one of the greatest (laughs) film directors of the last 30 years is producing a telly show, a genre telly show, that you have to watch on your phone. Incredible scenes, yeah. Like, but uh, what? Help me! And he's help writing me, it. Me, he's he's me. writing he it. He is writing it, and he hasn't. <laughs> he hasn't written anything. He, he went on a 
fucking tear about Netflix shouldn't yes. be quite, you know, and yet now he's gone completely the other way and he's making stuff for phones. But, like, because, okay, I'm, I'm going to sound like a nana, right? Which is, I cannot watch shit on my phone. So I can't watch anything other than an Insta story, which I watch a lot of, on my phone. I can't watch telly. I can't watch films. I think it's nonsense. I don't want it in my palm. I don't want it while I'm walking. My phone, well, not anymore. I've got oh. a little smaller one. Oh, okay. But, I don't like watching them on laptops. I will if I have to. Um, I like watching them on a proper telly. So this kind of blows my mind. Mm -hmm. It's a fucking mobile-only streaming platform. Everything on this platform has to be watched on a phone. This, I think it is an elaborate troll. When you, and you, we talked about this the other day because I was like, can't you just hide it under your quilt and trick it into thinking the sun has set? At which point <laughs> I explained night shift to Terry, but it's fine. <laughs> James explained that it wasn't just as simple as being a bit dark. Um, but it, I mean, it feels like a gimmick, right? It feels oh, yeah. like a gimmick. Presumably what he yeah. would say if he was here right now, which, you know, he is not, um, is, is that is fuck you, Netflix. making things specifically for mobile phone viewing is 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 fine it what he has objections to are people watching stuff made for and he's he gets annoyed by films being made for netflix that then around cinemas for a day and then get not get worthy of and all that isn't it but you, I, no well look and spielberg's personal preference aside i'm 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 annoyed by there being a platform that you can only watch it is weird. Yeah. You can only watch shows on your phone at night. At and do you do, though? <laughs> but that that program is the is the one that's at night, right? Creepy. I don't know. I just think it, it feels to me like a gimmick to get people like us talking about it, yeah, which we are. It works. Um, and you know, you've just got. I don't know when you're prioritising quirks in the way you consume it over the content. That's when alarm bells mm. always ring for me, mm. because great, great, great telly. Boyd and James will attest to this more than anyone I know deserves to be seen sharply, brightly on big screens. Um, no. You two have screens bigger than my local fucking cinema <laughs> for this very reason. Yes. And we all know that you watch stuff on your phone and the detail doesn't track properly. And hmm. it's, you know, it isn't the experience that I think anybody who's really engaged with the future of TV and film wants to be promoting as the future of it. And I also genuinely don't believe that people who really proper, proper love proper telly ever want to be watching it on their phone. Also, flash forward when this is released and Terry is having to watch it on her phone underneath her duvet with the lights <laughs> off and she's going, for fuck's sake! God, I'm livid! <laughs> Genuinely livid! Uh, oh, while we're on Queeby though, Don Cheadle is doing a sci-fi series for Queeby. Also, you um, have to watch on your phone. I don't know if you have to watch it under a duvet, but this is called... Don't, but you do have to watch whole, it on your phone. Yes. It's a mobile-only streaming platform. Don't look deeper on your phone, duvet optional, with Don Cheadle. That's the thing that's happening. But you can probably watch it any time. You probably can, the, yeah. The platform isn't just for watching stuff after dark, but no. the platform is, is for just watching for just stuff watching on your stuff effing on your phones, phones, which you should never do. So no. there you go. Um, have you heard this? Amazon is developing a series based on Sandra Bullock's college years. She's not in it. So, okay, this is an what? actual thing. Amazon's developing a, a comedy drama series. It's set in the world of 1980s music and dance, but it's based on Sandra Bullock's experiences in college. What is it called? Sandy goes to college. It doesn't got a title. It's only got. To, she's she's uh, she's exec producing it, but it's uh, well, based so on her college involved. years. Yeah, I'm she's like, involved. It's somebody's not like, making yeah. a, a thing about Sandra Bullock's colleges without involving her. No, that, no, they have involved her. But that's. that's I mean, I mean, what happened? 
happened to her at college? Isn't well, everybody's college years just a bit shit and you spend it having a bit to drink, eating a pizza and like doing a bit of studying? Some valuable insight into your life right there. Uh, but yeah, um, presumably that's what the series will be, but with Sandra Bullock. Except not Sandra Bullock, but someone presumably cast to look a bit like but Sandra is it Bullock. Her actual colleges, or is it like a fictionalised? I mean, I imagine it will be to her college years what Entourage was to Mark Wahlberg's life, like a little bit inspired by, as opposed you don't to. Don't think it'll be a real time. Um... <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> just like recounting. It's fresh as week. College Sandra years. goes yeah. to orientation. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't be as good. Uh, there was a bit of a hoo ha when the planned Swamp Thing series got uh, cancelled. Did you hear about was this? Like, I didn't even know this had happened. I didn't really care. But so many people ask me about this on Twitter, by which I mean at least two. And uh, so it has. It's been cancelled. Apparently there was a three-season plan. Everyone was very excited to see the swamp thing. And uh, now they went. So came out of left field, out of nowhere, yeah. cancelled. No one cares. Done. Jude Law is going to start in a new six-spot drama for Sky HBO, who last got together for Chernobyl. Um and this is called The Third Day. And the most exciting thing about this is, Terry, yeah. as you'll agree, is that it's written by Dennis Kelly of yes. pulling, oh, yes. more importantly, and Utopia, of Utopia fame. Yeah. more importantly. Because well, Utopia is amazing and better than Have pulling. Have you seen all of pulling? No, I had to see the first. You made me watch the first classic, one and I didn't enjoy classic it. Classic <laughs> James Dyer, statement of fact based on no facts. It's based on my wisdom and many years of, I don't know. Anyway, it sounds really good, and I'm just excited that Dennis Kelly is writing a, a, a completely new thing set in a mysterious island off the British coast. It's I'm called already... the Isle of Wight, boy. Don't yeah, be racist. Oh, okay. <laughs> Where there are secretive inhabitants. There you go. That's okay, good. okay, that's good. It's gonna be good. Here's a, here's a weird one. Carla Gugino oh, is yeah. going to be in season two of The Haunting of Hill House. Oh yeah, and that's see that, yeah. that's right because I assume this would be sort of anthology esque, and it would be a completely whole new haunting with whole new ghosts. But she has said she is very excited about being in season two. But it can still be a whole. It's obviously it's a completely different story, but just yeah, and she, she might turn up as a ghost. You know, yeah. Yeah. who knows? Wait, spoiler. Haunting of Terry, Terry <laughs> drifted the away there. Come on, Terry, come back to us. <laughs> Don't go into the lights. Don't go into the lights. I wasn't paying attention. No, no, you shot me. Carla Gugino is going to be in season two of The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, my God. Let that sink in. Oh, my God. Good reaction. I'm not convinced she's still listening. Did you see the Russian... <laughs> I'm trying to find stories that Terry would be interested in, just to bring it back. Did go you on. see the Russian doll news? Yes. Yes, see? Well, oh, I didn't season see this. Season two. Season two. Season two. Season two. Is it going to be a different day or the same one? We don't know. We don't know. Natasha Leon just, it was very cryptic. What, mm. what did it say? It was like two. Yeah, just two, basically. <laughs> yeah. Just confirming that there will be a second. That was it, yeah. But that is, I mean, that is, let's not forget one of the best things we've seen. Yeah. Was it this year? Yeah, this yeah. year. Yeah, January. Yeah. Uh, so. Have you seen that uh, Sci-Fi Channel are doing a spin-off of Krypton featuring Lobo? You see, character Lobo. you already lose. If, you, if this words? is your attempt to keep words? Terry in the room, you're already you're well, Lobo, driving her away. Lobo was meant of a kind of, as a kind of Wolverine spoof character when he first uh, launched. Does that not? No? Lost, as in Los Lobos, the, the wolves? No, just no. Lobo as in Lobo. Okay. Okay, anyway, nobody cares. Right, is that is that it for news? Are we, are we newsed out? What? <laughs> Terry definitely is. Anyway, uh, should we move on to reviews? Let's look at the films. Uh, films. Let's look at the TV shows out this week. First up, we have season four of Gamora. Now, 
This is the critically acclaimed Italian language drama on Sky Atlantic that charts the fortunes of a grumpy ornithologist who collects and then, crucially, imprisons very tiny birds. There's a gangster <laughs> with one eye who looks a little bit like a member of Spandau Ballet and a perma-scowling chap who seems to be the lead. But the only thing I can really discern about him is he wears very gaudy jewellery, which he can't stop playing with, and he has a thing for slightly too small black bomber jackets. Um, as you might have guessed, I've never watched this show before, and having now done so, I am 0% clearer as to what the fuck this show is about anyone please like is a previously on Gamora is that too much to ask like there was no attempt to accommodate for people who maybe didn't know what was happening but I think what often happens is you we watch this on on the preview website of Sky right yes. so it's not going to be on Sky Atlantic and this often happens with Netflix stuff that you watch the episode and there is no recap but there will be when it airs I think there will be a recap yeah. I bet who is anyone like I mean I'm lost anyone I, I watched the first season of Gamora but I haven't by I have to say, I have to admit that I, I lost track. And what's with the bird man? The bird man's just obsessed with birds. That's all. What's with <laughs> and what's with the bloke in the bomber jacket? Is he the main character? Well, he is right, now. Yes. But he so, wasn't before. So but he left. a big shock at the end of... Mm. I won't say who because um, in case people didn't get to the end of season three, apart from to say that a very important character died at the end of season three. If you have not watched season three, please do watch it before you start watching season four. You could four. have told me that earlier in the week. <laughs> Um, and there is it's essentially the aftermath of that and they're trying to kind of there's a new battle for power going on I mean it's essentially just a complex crime drama done incredibly well I joined it in like season two and I had to go back to season one and quite frankly it's not the simplest thing in the world it is really complex Mm. Um, it is foreign language yeah it's not in English (laughs) it's really hard to keep track of everything that's going on but it is I mean in terms of I think being truly kind of um, a relevant and modern kind of crime gangster saga Lots of people try this, and I think um, we've actually got something in the latest issue of Pilot written by broadcaster and journalist Sam Delaney, who makes the case for why it's essentially the best gangster crime saga since The Sopranos. And I think he's got a point in that it is really compelling. It is really fast-paced. I mean, visually, it takes lots of big risks. There's a scene, without giving too much away, there is a scene where somebody gets shot and the blood completely mm. covers the screen. There's that some really innovative and, I think, interesting things There's that they do. There's a flying severed leg at one point it is and it is brutal and it is harsh and it is surprising it is Sky Italia's biggest show I think it premiered season 4 premiered to like over a million people in Italy it's incredibly from what I've heard authentic it's really true to kind of what you see on the streets of Naples what I would say the point you're making is if you have never seen Gamora (laughs) there is no jumping into season 4 there is no easy way to join it if you really want to watch it go back and start season one. Yeah, there were, there were more budgies than I'd anticipated, but, uh, but sure. Naples, man. Yeah. Budgie capital of the world. Did you think the scene where the guy goes to get the budgie it was so funny? Because there is a there is a dry um, humour to, to yes. Gamora, which is one, yes. of the, one of the brilliant things about it, where the guy that goes running in, he jumps over the thing, you think he's going to kill someone or rob them, or do, and he's going to get the budgie. It's but it, but it, again, and, it, it made no sense. Like It seemed to be a shop that didn't no, generally no, no, no. sell budgies, oh. but behind the counter, <laughs> there was a cage with one budgie in it, because and he apparently knows. knew it was there. Everyone knows the importance of the budgie to the main uh, uh, crime guy. And when he delivered the budgie, the crime guy was absolutely and then, thrilled. That's it. And then the budgie smuggler goes out. <laughs> <Hey. laughs> he takes the budgie and gives it to the crime boss, who then starts coochie-cooing to the budgie. Yes. And I'm, at that point, I'm like, yes. what the fuck? But, but Boyd's right in that it has a very, I think, local flavour and t- and oh, credible tone, right? Neapolitan so, native that you are. No, but what 
would say is most crime gangster things, they try and be American. It tries mm. to be kind of, you know, have things really moved on from Goodfellas, not especially in most kind of televised or cinematic depictions of the gangster lifestyle. <laughs> this in Italy, by the way, does double viewing figures yeah. wise than what Game of Thrones did. The Italian people love this shit. I love your talk on the, local fl- on the local flavor. Terry, Terry the OG <laughs> White as well, you know, when I was running numbers for the, for the Camorra. There is a new, the new female um, crime boss is going to get more and more important. Isn't it? They do female, char- very, female characters right. yeah, fucking well. astonishingly. Yeah. Women, female characters in crime sagas like this are wives, hookers, yeah. mistresses, strippers or waitresses. And this has women in really yeah. interesting, influential, powerful positions. And some of them fuck you up. Some of like there is no kind of the, t- the typical, um, uh, help me out, the... Stereotypes? Thank you. Archetypes? Both. No. Yeah. The stereotypes, <laughs> the stereotypical women you see in yeah. shows like that don't exist in no, Gamora. absolutely. But the stereotypes, of, and nor do the stereotypes of any of the characters. No. So what I love about it is, and I'm really pleased I've gone back to it, and, I'm gonna, and, I'm, and I did get it. You know, I kind of immersed myself in it, even though I've skipped two seasons. What, it reminded me how much I loved it to start with, because it mixes the poetic with the realistic and mm. the authenticity mm. with flights of fancy, even within the characters. So the characters are like these fairly... Very down to earth, yeah. quite basic, you think, figures, but their dialogue will be weirdly poetic yeah. often and kind of dealing in metaphors and analogies. And it's like they, they, they go there and they, and they're, so they do with the visual. So they'll be quite lavish tracking shots. A lot, so it's got documentary realism. Mm. And yet at the same time, there are these beautiful moments where mm. they'll go for something really daring and spectacular. It's, it's just a brilliantly done show. And it's, and it is as immersive and gritty and detailed and compelling as the best. TV out there. A lot of the people in it seem to look a lot like Terence Stamp in Superman 2. (laughs) There was a lot of head to toe weird black attire and it was I mean it was very strange. It's Italian Mafia, what do you want? Yeah. Well, there you go, that's Gamora. Gamora airs on Sky Atlantic and Now TV on Wednesday, June the 19th at 9pm if you like Terry, are very au fait with the uh, Neapolitan mafia and can identify the local flavour, then you might uh, you might very much enjoy it. There are so many similarities between Naples and my hometown, you would not believe. <laughs> right, next up is Catch-22. This is Hulu's adaptation of the terribly famous satirical novel by uh, Joseph Heller. If you were paying attention and or alive back in 1970 or have the ability to um, watch DVDs. You might ha- you might remember the movie adaptation by Mike Nichols, which starred Alan Arkin in the lead. This adaptation sees Christopher Abbott in the main role as US Airman John Yossarian, uh, fl- sort of reluctantly flying sorties over German divisions in World War II. Abbott's joined in this by the likes of, uh, of George Clooney, Carl Chandler, Hugh Laurie, uh, in a six-part series that attempts to capture the novel's sort of circuitous narrative and, dare I say it, slightly wacky tone. But the question is... Is, did it succeed, Terry? Was there enough local flavour here for <laughs> airmen who might remember World War Two? So I was quite surprised by this, and I don't think I, I don't know what I was expecting, but the absurdity and the surrealism mm. I wasn't, and that's what kind of took me by surprise. Have you read the book? Um, yes, I have read the book at university. It's something you always read at university, and I um, I wasn't a huge fan of the book. Mm. I was going through uh, through my why am I reading on the road? Why am I reading Catch Twenty Two? <laughs> Men are such dicks. Phase. Um, phase. Uh, phase. Phase. <laughs> Sorry, life. Um, and I uh, replaced it with Sylvia Plath, but I 
And Clooney's really interesting in this, who we should say exact produced and part directed. Yeah. Um, his performance really threw me at first. So there's a bit where he's kind of barking at them. And it was a little bit Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Yes, Did and a little really bit intolerable cruelty. Yes. Like it had a real Coen's And I was like, it was, ve- and that's when I was like, hang on, this is totally not what I expected yeah. it to be at all. What I most loved about it, I have to say, is it balances and it's a really thin line, thin line? fine line whatever that fucking saying is it's one of them because you have the most gratuitous death destruction the consequences of war with this kind of jollity and absurdity so there's an incredible sequence where um their flight is like a dogfight essentially and before they take off it's all swing music and better and it's all very upbeat and they're laughing and it's cut and you yeah. you're just, I, at this point i was getting a little bit bored after i was like saying gonna you know they're gonna go for a nice fly and then by the time they're in the air it is like there's blood on the insides of the what you call that plane plane cockpit and it's and it the tone jumped you blink and it's somewhere else you get whiplash watching this and I and at first and do you know what I actually loved it that's what kept me engaged it kept me entertained because when it was just this kind of more nostalgia fused kind of you know the good times of war and when it shifted to that brutal kind of quite, and as I say, gratuitous is the word because there were bits, a couple mm. of bits where I was like really shocked mm. by it. I loved the kind of uh, slightly bipolar, slightly schizophrenic kind of tone and the shifts that happened so fast. I mm. don't know if it's going to be for everybody. No. Because I don't think it's going to be what people expect. No, I agree with you. It's got a real, um, it has a mash-esque quality to the yeah. humour in places because it's quite fast-talking and a bit wacky, zany, mm. crazy. Uh, but no, I really enjoyed it as well. Like the, the, the book, I think, is... A lot of people find it very hard to get into. It's quite circuitous. It's, I mean, it's satire, but it's like, it's all, it's all over the shop in terms mm. of the humours. I can't even think of a word to describe it, but it's a very particular type of humour, which I think, yeah, it's absurd. Yeah. It's exactly that. It has an absurd. Thank you, Boyd. <laughs> it has an absurdist humour to it, which I think people will either engage with or they won't. And I did uh, when I was on the internet looking to see how this has been uh, received. There was a reader review on Metacritic by someone called Mister Monster. Oh God! <laughs> and they wrote, and this was their quote. I can see why people like it. Personally, it wasn't my cup of tea. But I can see why people like it. You might. And that <laughs> yeah. was his review. I think this is... And I totally get that. Because yeah. people know it's good, but yeah. they don't quite know why. Yeah. yeah. It is, it is, this is one of those shows that is exactly what kind of current TV yes. is all about. Because there's no, this is a six hour art movie, really. Yeah. It's and with George yeah. Clooney kind of heavily involved, <laughs> you know, and a star star and Hugh Laurie and blah, blah, blah. But it's the, as you said, it's quite alienating. Yes. And they have, it's one of my favourite books. So I absolutely, of course, I was doing American literature. So this was like, this was catnip. This is when you were failing to learn what ambit pentameter was. Yeah, when I was not bothered about Shakespeare, I was reading Catch 22 and Joseph and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And I still love, and the, and the, and the I love the film. Mike Nichols, the film version, was incredible but it was very truncated so that yeah, in two no, hours very much so. but well, even did, this is yeah but what it did do is capture that absurdist tone where yeah. anything can happen and the randomness the awful shocking sick randomness of war is what it's, yeah. is what it's all about and chaos and chaos, chaos, chaos of war. and the fact that the central character Yossarian I have to say really well played by Christopher Abbey starts it off as this kind of everyman figure but then ends up effective going mad spoiler alert being driven mad by the insanity of war and the insanity of particularly his specific people in charge of him who want just sending on these missions and they're building up more and more missions and that's the central the central catch 22 of the whole uh, title and that whole idea um, that you have to be mad to agree to those missions he's trying to prove himself insane but he's sane because he's trying to prove himself 
Matt, insane. That's what that you makes do him sane. If you're yeah. sane. Exactly. So that is the catch too. So it, it was all about. The, so it captures the tone so well, I think. Um, and it's different because the novel jumps about all yeah. over the place. Yeah. This yeah. is fairly chronological, fairly mm. chronological. And I, th- I just, and I went to the screening of this where George was there and everything, and they showed they did it in a really weird way. I don't know if I mentioned this at the time. Yeah, so first they showed, and last, wasn't it? They showed episode one yeah. and episode six. Oh yeah. And then a really weird, long, truncated thing highlights of the rest of the episodes in the middle so now i've gone back and i watched episode one again and episode two and i'm like oh you that was such a weird thing to do because episode why they did it is because episode six is astonishingly powerful like all of the darkness Mm -hmm. and that violence comes to the fore in an incredibly brilliant way in episode six all right fine but we could have we would have got to that eventually and i think this did slightly disservice to the people who watched it but i think they've done a fantastic job and and um, thank god that Hulu and Channel 4 it's a co-production I think Channel 4 actually have money in as well have given George Clooney and his mates the enough <laughs> money to make an incredibly lavish and it gets even more lavish because there's whole sections of it set on this Mediterranean island and he goes to he has to stay with this group of people in the, I mean it's spectacular looking hugely expensive I don't think many people are going to watch it at all. I no. think it's going to be at like one million maybe yeah. after people have realised that it's how weird yeah. and difficult and challenging it's very it is. Niche. It's very but niche. it's brilliant. It's absolutely I great. I think they're going to think period Clooney, yeah. like no. wartime, yeah. kind of Vera Lynn, yeah. and no. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to wrong foot yeah, people. It really yeah. wrong. This is not Band of Brothers in the Air by any no. stretch. But yes, that is Cash 22. This airs on Channel 4 on Thursday, the 20th of June at, uh, at 9pm. Also out this week is the second series of Dark, a, which is a German-language supernatural drama. We're quite heavy on the uh, subtitles this week. About missing kids, supernatural stuff, and um, Germans. <laughs> Helpfully, as you might gather, Netflix didn't make this available for me to watch in time, so I haven't seen it. But I'm sensing, Boyd, that might be for the best, as, like with Gamora, I'm sure I wouldn't have had the first clue what was going on. I can't believe you're having a go at Netflix again for not making it ready. I asked they, them. I asked them to. I, thought they, I think they think they have. Did yeah. you watch it? Yes. Oh, good. Yeah, but... Okay. I think you've screwed it up. I, how, how is this you've my fault? up Netflix. How is it my fault? It's the same thing happened with, uh, with Jessica Jones. Oh, anyway, um, I, this, is, this is a show that started out as one thing. It started out as a fairly, I'm not straightforward, but, you know, a kind of thing about children disappearing from this fictional small town in Germany, as you say, and, you know, the family's like, what happened to these kids? Why are these kids disappearing? And then it turned into this thing in the first season that cut between the present day, 1953 and 1986. It became like an almost Twin Peaks-esque, surreal, weird, bold, ambitious thing about time travel, about um, a kind of evil, weird religious sect with some kind of religious figure at the top of it who may or may not be responsible for abducting these children and why he's abducting these children at a different time and sending them back to a different timeline. And now, in season two, there's a new timeline and there's like a forward-thinking bit, a forward-jumping bit about the impending apocalypse. And so you get the end of the world, you get weird, even more weird religious sex, a new really creepy, bald, freaky kind of character with weird things going on with his skin, who I thought was a brilliant thing. It is mystifying, though. I mean, I did watch season one, and then when I reviewed season two for for, for Pilot TV magazine, I had to go back and rewatch because it's so confusing and complicated. Even more than Gomorrah, you can't <laughs> jump into this because it is bewildering, I think. But... 
I do really like the kind of what it is, which is a weird mess of all lots of different things. Well, I can I can <laughs> concur because I hadn't seen season one and I start to watch this and I thought I'd started it halfway through because it made no sense. Mm. So I rewound you'd, you'd it. You thought you'd done another what if? Yeah, yeah. I was like, like, oh, this, oh, this, shit, this, this can't be, be right. in German at all. I'm confused. What I will say is, I we'd somehow had our telly set so that it didn't show subtitles. It did dubbed. Oh, no. Was yeah. it on tick? So I wrote loads of I wrote loads of notes going. <laughs> Why have they made this dub? Why is this dubbed? This is ridiculous. It was like you'd literally got like a pained German child and an American of the top going, oh, my God, John, what is wrong with your face? And I was like, this is shit. And then um, my boyfriend may have pointed out to me that it was our telly setting, not what they'd done to the um, show. I had no idea what was going on. Somebody kept going, six days to the apocalypse, nine days. And I'm like, what apocalypse? What's happening? And is that the future? Are they in the future? Yeah. And why are they? And also, can I just say, there was a death scene with an axe oh, yeah. that was yeah. the most unrealistic death scene I've ever seen. If you hit somebody with an axe in the shoulder, they do not automatically die instantly. I was like, did you not notice that? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. It went in his shoulder blade. Mm. It hit him in the he hit him in the back with an axe. It went in his shoulder blade. He fell over dead. That's not how it works. Um, I have no idea. So, I don't... Yeah. Yeah. How you know that, I don't really want to ask, but carry on. But mm. just like pained German children, um, something about the future, something about death and the world ending, uh, somebody yeah. getting hung, like somebody else dying, uh, unrelentingly grim and a colour palette that seems to have been taken from a Hovis advert. I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> it's a very grey, browny, greeny It's a more brown. Yeah. You probably haven't had enough beige yeah. today. Yeah. There's a nuclear beige. power plant in it. Well. Oh, it's a that? bit like Chernobyl, yeah. Oh, good, good. Chernobyl. Chernobyl. I, I, keep, say, I keep calling it that for Our comedy reasons. I'm sticking to it. Of Chernobyl has changed. Chernobyl. We've gone Chernobyl, <laughs> Chernobyl, I mean, Chernobyl. Chernobyl is is yeah. is excellent. Are you getting like, confused by Chernoborg? Is the is the, <laughs> isn't the, the god Norse god of death? I don't know. Uh, it's the one that uh, you know that uh, that uh, Peter Stamari plays in American Gods. Stormare? Is it Stormare? It is Stormare. It's Stormare. Okay. Stormare. I think, isn't it? I don't know. What we've established is we don't know how to pronounce anything. So. Yeah. All right. So that is Dark <laughs> Season 2, which we are in the dark about, but boys seem to enjoy, so you might too. Uh, that uh, drops on Netflix on Friday the 21st of June. Is that right, Boyd? Uh, correct. Excellent. Also out this week is Beecham House, which we haven't reviewed, but I've been informed by Boyd that this is the new Downton Abbey. So, Boyd, would you like to tell us a little bit about this while I ask Mrs. Patmore to put on the tea? <laughs> The uh, Mrs. Patmore's in it, first of all. Is she? Yeah. Really? Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's it's got it's basically Gorinda Chadder who's uh, created it. She's co-written and directed it. So it's a proper attempt, I think, by ITV to create. I mean, they're constantly looking for the new Downton Abbey. I mean, they've got Julian Fellows has, has created his own new Downton Abbey, which is going to arrive next year. Um, so they're kind of you know because that was such a huge show for them. So this is a very glossy impressively looking cinematic period drama um, about a kind of white people during in Delhi before British rule, led by Tom Bateman, and he kind of arrives to take over this household with a baby in tone. You're not sure quite how this baby came to came to into being, so to speak. And I, it's a very, very um, enjoyable, quality piece of mainstream drama, is what I would say. If you like... So it's actually probably less soapy than, than Downton. I know you love Downton, I weirdly. Do. I love Downton. I still never 
quite understand why. Could I just say, I saw a, a film uh, earlier this week and before it was the trailer, which is on the big screen for the Downton Abbey movie. And oh my God, I'm Terry, so I should excited. totally be reviewing that. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Well, but you it, can review it, but we won't be doing anything else on that five film. Five stars, five stars, Downton Abbey the movie. Oh, so good. Anyway, this it's got a good cast. Adol Ray's in it, Mark Warren's in it, um, Dakota Blue Richards is in it from Skins and Mrs. Patmore's in it. And it's, you know, I enjoyed it. I think it's good. Good, good. Yeah. That's Beecham House. Uh, pick of the week. Oh, Kamara. Yeah, Kamara. Really? Of course. Oh, okay. Interesting. You were right. really swung by the budgies. The, I, you love your budgie smuggler thing. I mean, you can't do it again. <laughs> I know. I mean, you're not, all about yeah. that gag. You're not Chris Hewitt. You don't have to do your gags three or four times in one podcast. Yeah, I also did really like Catch-22. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Me too. But Kamara is like, I think, a, a bit of a classic, a bit of a modern classic. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, shall we have the Banshee segment? Now, Terry, as ever, now is exempt from the Banshee segment. But I am the ultimate decider. The arbiter of who wins, which is going to be Boyd again. (laughs) Right, uh, Boyd, do you want to go first? Okay. The slap. Oh, hang on. Wasn't this on like five minutes ago? No, it was on 2015, which was, what, four years ago? You never defined how long ago they are. Fair enough. You think things more recent than the slap? No, that is, I suppose, within the realms of our law of our rules. Rules. It's in the rules. It was an American miniseries adapted from the Australian series, The Slap. It's all about the aftermath of a birthday party of um, uh, middle-aged kind of people, middle-class people. Jenna Coleman. Is it Jenna Coleman? No, I've met that up. Carry on. Anyway, it's got a great cast, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, it's all about um, one kid slaps another. And it's all about the ramifications of that and what happens, you know, um, in kind of all the different rival families. And it's kind of like, you know that play that Jodie Foster was directed the film version of that I should have looked up before I came here? <laughs> it's a bit like that, right. you know, where there's an incident school between kids, you know, and that blows up into a huge big thing. And it's like, what does this say about, you know, society as a whole? It's a big, ambitious... It was really good. But listen to this cast. First of all... Brian Cox, Melissa George, Tandy Newton, Zachary Quinto, Peter Sarsgaard and Uma Thurman are all in it. And um, it was really good. And it's a kind of self-contained story, so you can watch it, you can binge on it in one go. Eight episodes, I think it was. It's It's on all four. That does sound good. I I knew what this was. I hadn't seen it. I assumed it was an adult slapping a child and the fallout from that. This is interesting, actually. It's it's a a child war. I feel it's redundant because you're going to win regardless. So like I could roll out anything. You don't know that. But, all right, fine, no, fine. Let's put I'm it on. Not, I am open. Solomon, um, I feel like Terry Solomon. You know, mine does have a remarkable amount of uh, of local flavour. So uh, so that might. Go on uh, then. All right, here we go. Hit me up. So what does I wanna, that mean? I want to talk about. Um, this is a callback, boy. This is a oh, callback yeah, 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 like to, to Gamora. To, to Gamora. Yeah, because OG Terry over <laughs> there is like all about the Neapolitan, local flavour. Neapolitan. Yes, yes this go is on. my my Neapolitan banshee. Uh, so I want to talk about, or specifically, go on about, go on. Oh, See what God. I did there. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Did I see the really obvious joke you just made? Yes. <laughs> excellent punning. It's good. Uh, so this this was a kind of a one season wonder from 2013. This starred Matthew Perry, and it had the jolly premise of kind of a sports radio uh, host who joins a support group after his to get over the death of his wife. Oh, you see the voice? Yeah. yeah. yeah, there you go. yeah. yeah see, yeah. Uh, I don't think uh, I was about to say I don't think anyone really watched this, but clearly we all did. So that's quite unusual. But it had a very sort of bittersweet quality to it, and it had and it had was shot through with black humour because he's kind of dealing with depression. But also you've got these really wacky, slightly surreal, demented actors of the people in his group, which include Brett Gelman, aka Claire's awful husband Martin from Fleabag. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Tyler James Williams from Everybody Hates Chris. John Cho is in this as well as his boss at work. But what I think, what I really loved about this is it was. 
was Matthew Perry kind of fire, firing on all cylinders. Like, in a way, you know, if we're honest, he's not really... Like, post-Friends, he never really recaptured that. And I think this is the closest he came, which makes a certain amount of sense, because this was written specifically for him by Scott Silveri, who worked with him on Friends. And actually, you know, he does loads of really, really good mugging in this. There's some touching stuff in it, too. Um, uh, he had a slight community vibe actually to it because it's quite it is utterly absurd and slightly surreal in places it, it's, it's a bit off the wall but I'm honestly sadly I think no one really watched this apart from apparently the three of us so it got cancelled after one season because they got terrible ratings but I'm also pretty sure it isn't available on DVD certainly not over here and it is on Amazon Prime but possibly only in America I couldn't find <laughs> Wait it Wait a minute. no no it might be on UK Amazon I couldn't find it I know it's definitely on US Amazon so th- there you go so I'm not sure if you can watch it so you have to so no one might, will be able to watch well, you know, whatever. I think you should be discounted because it was well, all yeah. going well until that point. I thought I, was, I think you were going to win, but then and if you can't see uh, it, I, well, you know, you that could slight? maybe in America or with a VPN. Not that I would ever recommend <laughs> subverting Amazon's geo blocking, but you know, if you want to. Um, Terry's. Oh, she's, she's looking. I, I, this is not going to go well for me. So based, not based on technicalities of where you can see it or where you cannot see it on. Pure presentation, <laughs> belief. You're such a twat. Just great delivery, <laughs> real professionalism and passion and excitement. <laughs> this week's winner has to be Boyd Hilton. I am deeply regretting the new format of the Banshee segment. I think, <laughs> I think having you as the ultimate arbiter of what is and isn't good was a terribly ill-conceived idea. You're saying you may never win. You may I'm, never I'm win saying this, 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 oh. this, this, this may need to be re-examined. <laughs> Oh, God. Right. Right. Thanks. That is it for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. But before I ask you to head over to iTunes and pimp you out for a five-star rating, I have some very exciting news. The Pilot TV podcast is going live. Yes. That's right. We'll be putting on our inaugural live pilot pod at the London Podcast Festival on Friday, the 13th of September. (laughs) An auspicious date that I like to think Terry chose specifically so that she could have it as a perfect backdrop against which to murder me live on stage. Um, This all takes place at the King's Place in London and tickets should be on sale now over at the London Podcast Festival website. Uh, Terry and I will also be appearing on the Live Empire podcast also at the festival which takes place on the day after on Saturday the 14th assuming I survive we will be back next week with a new round of shows many of which might be in English and or vaguely intelligible which will be a nice change uh, so that's something to look forward to oh oh and in fact one of them one of them is potentially very exciting yeah because this comes from it comes from Jonathan Tropper who is the creator of actual Banshee whoa True, this is called Warrior. It's a Cinemax martial oh, yeah. arts drama Warrior. based on a concept dreamed up by Bruce Lee. Terry, you are going to hate every minute of this. <laughs> I loved Enter the Dragon. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> I used to watch it obsessively when I was little. I, is, do you mean the, the Bruce Lee film Enter the Dragon or was it an episode of This Is England where they go to the local Chinese takeaway? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> is that problematic? James Dyer's view of the North. <laughs> All right, well, so that's the thing that's going to happen. So do not miss the chance to hear what we, and more importantly she, um, Uh, Thinks of that on next week's show. Pilot out. 